Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, sometimes it does feel like a battlefield, and uh, for many of us in this room, uh, our relationships as husbands and wives, no matter how we've cleaned up and how good we look this morning, it's not going so hot, is it? So why don't we pray at the very beginning and uh, ask for God's help? Pray with me. You ask Him. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, help us with these things. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. The other morning I was taking a walk, and I just finished up my hour walk and kind of catching my breath, and I was starting to cross the street to my uh, house, and around the curve and down the hill, we kind of live on a little hill there, came a car at a high rate of speed, and it startled me, and I kind of froze in the street, and then I, so I jumped to the right, and the driver jerked that direction. I jumped to the left, and the driver jumped to that direction, and I finally dove up in the yard on this side, and the car came screeching to a halt, and the driver's side door opened up, and a squirrel was driving. And he said, it's not as easy as it looks, is it? Now, if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church... If we're going to fight for our wives, not with our wives, that's not what this is about. We've already got that part down. Uh, It's just not as easy as it looks, is it? It's not as easy as it sounds. And so we're going to find some help from God's Word on how to fight for our wives, men. So take your note sheets and your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Back over in the New Testament. We'll be right there beginning in verse 18. We read it earlier. Now, this is man month at Dogwood, and uh, we are opening up the Bible to uh, learn some of what it means to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul said in uh, the book of First and Second Timothy. Fight the good fight. Last Sunday, we looked at what it means to fight the good fight for real manhood, biblical manhood. Uh, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 to see some of what God says of, of His original intention for man, for men, uh, in the blueprints back there. And we discovered that God has given us men three overarching responsibilities. Uh, They are to uh, uh, reject passivity, seize responsibility, and lead courageously. And those, those three responsibilities that we're to seize are to obey God's will, to do God's work, and to love God's woman. We are to We are to spend our lives pursuing the will of God intentionally. And we are to spend our lives uh, pursuing the work that He gives us, each one of us to do with our hands in in whatever realm of culture and society that He places us. And we are to spend our lives loving the woman in our life that He brings us as our wives. And so today we're going to take a look uh, more specifically at what it means to fight for our wife. 
So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We read it earlier, and here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. So let's drill down uh, on what God says about loving our wives in this fashion. And He begins, if you'll put it in reverse and go back up to verse 18, this is in the context of the family. Here, he begins by saying in the first part of verse 18, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, guys, but some of us are having, aren't winning the fight for our wives and uh, loving our wives as Christ loved the church because we're just drinking too much. And, uh, and some of us can't stop. We have many men and women here in the program, and they're here to help, and we're here to help. If you're if you're addicted to alcohol, we're, this is a great church for you because you can get help here, and so find it. But but even if you're not drinking too much, if it's a problem with your wife, let her be the the indicator as to where alcohol stands in your home. Now there there are those in our culture and uh, who have freedom there. Uh, but there are many, and i got to speak to the next generation of Christians. There's some of you that are so excited about your freedom in Christ that you're flaunting it. Um, be careful with that. We, we're not allowed to flaunt our freedom in Christ. And, and while Christ brings great freedom, I want to I just propose to you, men especially, the opportunity to understand that we're also free in Christ not to drink. You're free not to. You're free not to. And I would commend to you the benefits of an alcohol-free life. Uh, and going beyond just the letter of what Christ would have us do, certainly not in excess, but, but just as it relates to our marriage and loving our wives, if they say we'd really rather not have this here and around the kids and stuff, then don't. Don't. For here's why. Take a look uh, at uh, the next part of this verse if we're going to win the fight for our wife, instead of living under the influence of alcohol, let's live under the influence of something else, or I should say someone else, and that's the Holy Spirit of Christ. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, men, if you and I are going to be real men, if we're going to fight the good fight of faith and win it, then we cannot do it on our own. That's one thing the Bible's clear about. We cannot do it on our own. We don't have the power. We're going to need the power of the gospel. We're going to need the power of Christ in our hearts and our lives. We're going to need the power of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, guiding us and working in us both to desire and do what He wants done, both to, to will and to work for His good pleasure. Uh, we need the, the Spirit of God. If loving the woman that God has placed in our lives was easy, then we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. We'd, we'd already have this covered. But it's not easy. It's not easy. God says to us from the Scriptures, right from the start, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an imperative. It is not a suggestion. In the, in the, in the construction of the sentence, this is, this is an imperative. It is a command. Be, you are to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, it's not a holy suggestion like, you know, I might want to try being filled with the Spirit. No, no, no. Be filled with the Spirit. And it is in the continuous act. It is present tense, continuous action. It, it says we are to live lives continually, moment by moment, day by day, consciously yielding ourselves 
to the control, to the power, to the guidance of God the Holy Spirit. For without Him, we, we, we're going to mess up. We need Him. Now, so, well, how do we get the Spirit? Well, you become a follower of Jesus. Now, we, you know, we have relationships with Russian Christians, and we're making friends in a part of Russia as a church. And we've discovered the way that they describe... Jimmy, it's fascinating. The way they describe somebody being born again or someone being saved or someone receiving Christ or someone becoming a follower of Jesus, however your tradition and background expresses becoming a Christian, here's how they say it. They say, so-and-so repented. They'll be excited to say, there were four people in my family who repented today when we gathered for worship. I think that may be the very best description of becoming a Christian. We repent. That means we change our mind about our sin. Not just our sins. You know, we one of our problems here is we we confuse sins with sin. Your sins won't send you to hell. They're the result of the problem. Sin. Sin is not something we do. Sin is something we are. And so we change our mind about our sin that I've got this problem. I can't do better. I can't. I've got a, a wicked heart. I have rebelled against the God, the King who loves me. I've rebelled against His reign and rule in my life. I've rejected His love, and I am lost to Him. They recognize that, and then they change their mind about Christ and realize He is the Savior and the only one who's made a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God, and they turn to Him, and you become a Christian. And when we do that, God says, among other things, among forgive, in addition to forgiving us our sin, in addition to justifying us out there, up there in His courtroom, in addition to giving us the gift of eternal life, that He gives us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our, in our lives. And so uh, that, is a, that is an essential, and so we're to live under the influence and control of God, the Holy Spirit. This is the start to successfully fighting for our wives. It's the starting place. It's not an option. Now, men, we can fight this good fight, and we do so, as we learned last week, uh, among other things, by leading courageously. And we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking that uh, today, we lead courageously, we learned last week from God's Word, by setting direction, providing protection, and what's the third one? can't remember it. Remembering what the third one is, I guess it is. Uh, oh yes, making provision. Sorry about that. Uh, here we go. So let's look at the first one. We first set direction. Now this, I'm dealing with this because this is the most... Um, Misunderstood part of the whole deal. Sorry, guys, I'm having trouble with the microphone there. There we go. Setting direction means leadership. Look at Ephesians 5.23. Here we go. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, many of you immediately felt, mm, that, I don't like how that sounds. Right? Right? This is, a, this is a, a difficult issue in our culture. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. This headship or this husband is the head of the wife means leadership. And it means not sinful male domination of women. Not what it means. We, talk, we talked about that last week. That is not what this means. That is, a, that is sinful. That is a personal moral failure. 
male domination that is abusive, that is oppressive. Um, uh, that's not what God's talking about here. Now, I heard of a guy who one time kind of believed the wrong thing, and he heard this passage read and not explained in church. He got in the car with his wife, and he's driving home, and he said, See, see, I'm supposed to be the boss. Now, I don't want to hear any more from you or the kids. Argument, you're to do what I say do. When I say do it, you're to obey me. Well, he didn't see his wife for about three days. And on the, the, the morning of the third day, he could see her just a little bit out of his right eye. Just a little bit. Now, now, ladies, if, if your husband takes that, that view of this thing, you ought to smack him in the name of Jesus, of course, a holy smack upside the head. That's not what he's talking about here. That is not it. That is not it at all. So, uh, so you may be saying, ladies, then this head of the wife thing makes me uncomfortable. Does that mean that he is the boss and we have to do everything he says? Uh, does that mean I have to obey my husband? You know, like in the old the wedding vows that you may, some of you may have taken them that said, love, honor, and obey. Well, you do have to love and honor your husband. That's a command right here. It's very clear. Obey, not, it's not there. It's not what it means. Just to blindly obey? No. No, it's not there. So let's explain this. This means, men, that we're to take the initiative to set the social and spiritual direction for our home. We're responsible to see that it's headed in the right uh, direction. Ray Ortland, uh, professor at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, defined this leadership in this way. In the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. A God-glorifying direction. So let's put that in the context here of husband and wives. Men, to win the fight uh, for your, your wife, we are to lead courageously by setting direction, taking the initiative to see that our marriage is headed in a God-glorifying direction. We're not to be passive about that. And our, so how do we do that? We do what Jesus did. He was our model in verse 23. Christ Jesus Himself. How did He do it? He loved us and gave Himself up for us. It's the gospel. His death on the cross and resurrection from the dead for us. Again, not sinful domination, but laying down His life for us. You see, Jesus didn't cling to His rights as God in heaven. The book of Philippians chapter 2 tells us. But instead, out of His love for us who were still in rebellion against Him, He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a servant, taking on the form of a man, living a, a, a sinless life, but going innocently to the cross where He did die physically, but He died spiritually. He took the full wrath, His own wrath on sin on Himself. For mankind. He did none of this for Himself. He did it for us out of His tremendous love for us who were still sinners. Men, this is how we're to love our wives. Oh, this is not claiming your rights. This is not claim, you know, pushing for what your, your desires and your will is. In fact, you're to die to those. I'm to die to those. I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. He died for us. I'm to die. I'm to die to my own desires. I'm to die to my own will. I'm to die to my own way. 
uh, you know, when dead people die, they don't have rights. Dead people don't have rights. Now, the good news is she's supposed to die also. That's another sermon for another time, ladies, but it's right there. You can read it uh, for, for yourself. Husbands, we're to lead our wives in the same way, set direction in the same way, give our lives away for our wives in the same way, always sacrificing our wants, our rights in order to help her. In, now, here's why. In order to help her carry the burdens and cares that she has in her life, always ready to meet her needs and sacrifice your own desires to fulfill hers. You see, men, this, this passage is not about superiority and inferiority. That's not the subject of this passage at all. It's not there at all. It's about sacrifice. It's about not about us as men and our privileges. It's about our wives. And most importantly, it's about the gospel. It's about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His work for us. For our marriages are to actually just be a... Marriage is just a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. It's about obeying God. Now, now some are saying, well, how in the world can we really do this? There's no one who does this all the time. And so, well, why has God put that in there? Is to remind us this is what He expects and He's expecting to show us that we can't do it and there were people in need of a Savior. Running back to the gospel, running back to Jesus, yielding to the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. We've got to have Him. We've got to have Him to do this. Now, practically, what I mean here is that your wife is... Guys, you're to be set the initiative. She's not to be the one having to stand around waiting for her husband to declare to her and the kids like the great leader of the Hebrews, Joshua declared, as for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. She, doesn't, she shouldn't be the one having to stand around and say, gosh, I wish we would, or shouldn't we be serving the Lord? Or shouldn't, shouldn't we? No, no, no. She you, you take the initiative. Our general direction is that we are going to love and follow Jesus Christ. That's what we do as a family. We're going to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to figure this out. We're going to do what He says. And this is our direction. And no, you know, any questions? This is us. We Men, we got to do that. God expects us to do that. And she expects you to do that. And rightly so. And rightly so. This is our intention. We take the initiative to see that we pray to the Lord as a family at proper time at meals. We don't wait on the kids or our wives to say, oh, we didn't pray. So, well, I don't, I don't know how to pray out loud. Well, learn how. It's just not hard. You just talk to God and uh, you do it. You do it. You figure it out. Figure it out. And, and so we, sh- we don't, we're not to be the ones that, uh, that make our family remind us that we're going to make preparations to get up and come worship with our church family every week. We, we, Men, we don't. We stop acting like we're surprised that another Sunday's here. Oh, it's the first one we ever had. What do we do? No, we make we make we sit. This not a question. Not a question. This is what we do, and we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some with our church family. We get together, we worship God, we honor Him. This means practically that she shouldn't have to be standing around waiting. For somebody to set direction spiritually and socially in the family. It's us. It's us. It's us. And so men, to fight the fight for our wives means that we lead courageously in just such a fashion. Now, 
you don't have to make you don't have to initiate everything in your family. You don't have to initiate every action or decision in your family. That's not what this means. But you and I are to feel and know that we are primarily responsible for setting that direction. Uh, husbands are obviously not to do all the thinking, not to do all the planning, not to do all the deciding, not to do all the, the working. That's not so. Um, we shouldn't limit our thinking, frankly, to stereotypical roles that just fit our culture, that the Bible really doesn't say. For example, I, I, I uh, Bo, in the, in the area in which you're ministering, I know you read a lot of things about the family, and I do too. Um, some of our brothers and sisters in, in, uh, in Christianity say things like, well, the husband should work and the wife should stay at home with the children. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't say it in the Bible. Not there. Some, some say, well, the woman should be the one who's domestic. She should be the one who cooks. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't say that in the Bible. In fact, I, I got some buddies who say, I sure am glad Daddy cooked. I'm serious. I got them to say, boy, Mama, mm, we love her, but whoo. Now, now, most of the time, obviously, women are better cooks than us uh, guys. I don't know whether it's just because we're lazy or what, but, but that's not there. That's, that's, a, that's just a role that people... That's not in the Scriptures. Uh, sometimes they, people will say things like, well, you know, the man should be in charge of the checkbook. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, wouldn't, wouldn't some of us be in trouble if our wives were not the accountant? In the financial, they kept the checkbook. Oh, it's just me. And you know, I did it. I, I can do it, but Allison's way better at it than I am. She actually likes it. And uh, so, but no, you, you see, the Bible would never nail itself down to that kind of specific stereotypical way of defining the differences between masculinity and femininity. That just does not. You can't do such a thing. You go to the book of Proverbs chapter 31 and read about the woman of worth there and see what she does. Here, here she's a wonderful wife. She's into real estate. She's into investments. Uh, she says, I'm going to fund this particular voyage, and when it gets back, I'll make a return on my investment. Uh, she's into sewing. She's into child rearing. She's into everything. And it appears implied that her husband's in all this with her. Uh, they are doing this together. So here's the question. Then practically, what does it mean the husband is the head of the wife in a very specific way? Well, here's my best shot at it. It means, and you can write down this phrase, the husband has tie-breaking authority and responsibility. He has the responsibility and the authority, according to God, to break the tie. Here's what I mean. So we have decisions to make in our families as husbands and wives, don't we? All the time. I mean, decisions that have to be made. Now remember, this is assuming we've both already died to ourselves our selfish desires, our will and our ways. And so here we are as a husband and wife and we're facing a decision like, where are we going to send the kids to school? They're, we've moved to a new community and we've got to pick a school. Where are we going to send them to school? Well, then the picture here is of a husband and wife discussing it, researching it together, 
praying together, um, debating it together, even pounding the table to present their ideas and their case for what we think we should do, and, and then doing all of that over and over again until they come to an agreement. You know, we think this is the best decision. There's the picture. And in the rare, rare times when they can't get clarity, but the decision's got to be made. It's the start of school. And, and the wife says, I'm just still a little unclear. You say. The husband breaks the tie. So why does he do that? Well, that's what God said to do right here. That's what this means. I mean, this is, this is the, how a practical expression of that. And it is a seizing of responsibility rather than lapsing back into passivity and saying, oh, honey, you, you know, you just do it. And wives, this is where you're a great spiritual helper by saying, no, no, buddy, you're not pushing that off on me. You're the man. You man up. You know, you, you man up. You man up. This is what, you know, somebody's got to break the tie. We believe you, you break the tie. We've done the best thinking, the best praying, the best research we can. I don't know. You just, you, you've got to break the tie. And then the gift that you give him, wives, not only that gift of leadership there, but down toward the end there where it says, and wives respect your husbands, what that means is then, then you do not tell him, I told you so later on. And let's just not joke about that one for a minute. We joke about that a lot, don't we? There are those of us, men and women, who love to say, I told you so. You know what that is? It's self-righteousness. And you know what? It's indefensible. You know what it does? Nothing positive. It's always destructive. As husbands and wives, we each know each other well enough that we know the words that could just destroy our spouse. We know the words, don't we? We know what? We know the subject. We know the sentence. We know the tone. We know how to, we know how to do it. When we die to ourselves and walk in the, in the way of Christ, we know it, but we never do it. We know it. We know how we could do it, but we, we don't do it. That's what it looks like for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So it looks like for a wife to love her husband as the church submits herself to Christ. Uh, so that's what it that's that's how this practically works itself out. And when we live this way, we find ourselves more and more realizing our masculinity as men and our femininity as women the way God intended. And it's a powerful partnership together with God. Now, there's much, much more here that I can't, don't have time to explain because i got two more points and i got three minutes and seven seconds to do it. And so, um, but this is, I wanted to spend the majority of the time here because this is where we get into trouble, Right? I mean, this is the hardest stuff to navigate. This, is, this has been the hardest for me. I mean, I've been doing, trying to figure this stuff out for 41 years. It's just, it's hard to get it straight. So, quickly, let's move on. Men, we lead courageously by setting direction, as we've described here. And number two, by providing protection. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her to make her holy 
cleansing her with washing of water by the Word. He did this to present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Again, Christ is our, men, Christ is our model, our example. He loved Himself and gave Himself up for the church. And the reason is He protected. He wanted to present us holy and blameless and pure before our Lord. Now, to provide protection, men obviously means that we protect our women, uh, our, our wives and the other females and sons in our family. We protect them physically. We provide protection emotionally and mentally and so forth. But this passage, it implies all that, but it's primarily speaking of spiritual protection. Once again, Jesus did it. So men, we fight the good fight of faith by leading our wives, by leading our wives, protecting them to pursue intimacy with Christ and closeness to Christ so that He would purify them and give them blameless outer lives and, and pure inner lives that cause no one to stumble, that they would grow to become women of great faith in Christ-likeness. We protect their spiritual lives. That means we don't let any people or things into their lives or into our homes that would hinder their spiritual transformation and their love for Christ. We don't expose them to anything that would hinder their holiness. I hear of men all the time, you know, not infrequently, I mean, it's not every day, but not infrequently, they'll say, well, they're wanting their wives to watch pornography with them. They say, well, this will enhance our sex lives. No, it won't. How could you expose your wife to that filth when it's already ruining you? In every way. Now research even came out this last week that it's ruining you physically. It actually causes the human brain over time to shrink. A study came out this last week. Just saw it. That's not protecting your wife spiritually. That's exposing her to, to sinful, destructive stuff. That kind of thing, that kind of stuff is what I'm talking about. Biblical manhood protects the moral and spiritual holiness of the women around them. Now, husbands, I've got to say something very difficult to us uh, here. Many of us, before we were married, uh, again, to the wives we're married to now, we did not protect their holiness. In fact, we contributed to the demise of it. We led them to become sexually active before we were married. And, and the Scriptures say that's out of bounds, just out of bounds. It, it, sexual expression is, is, is holy and good and wonderful and joy-filled inside the marriage relationship. And God says, outside, nothing else because it's all destructive. But we... Now, they might have been willing. They might have been just as thrilled as we are, but we, we had the responsibility to protect their holiness. And we didn't do it. We didn't do it. Golly. And so it's going to be hard. And, and I understand, you know, I... When I pray for the young men, our, our middle school guys and our high school guys and our college guys and the young singles who are having to deal with the powerful sex drive that God gives us. I mean, I, I feel sorry 
for the young guys and, and, and pray for them because, golly, I understand. So, well, why in the world did the God give us make the sex drive so powerful? Well, He did it. We see at the end of this passage, about verse 31 there or so, He did it so that we men wouldn't be losers who fail to launch and live with our parents all of our lives. He did. He did. He did it for two reasons. He says, therefore, a man shall what? Leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. We like that cleaving part, don't we? Yeah, yeah, sure. He gave us that. He created the sex drive so that we would get on with life, find a wife and rejoice with her sexually all the days of her life and produce wonderful children to bless the world. That's it. And so he says, learn to contain this vessel you have with honor. And we were to protect our wives, and we didn't do it. It's going to be hard for us now to set the spiritual and social direction for our families, no matter how long we've been doing it, until we go back and apologize to our wives. And so I recommend before the sun goes down that you do what I did, that you go to your wife and say, I didn't do this. And will you forgive me? So here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Just ask, say, is my wife pursuing Christ in becoming more and more like Him, becoming more and more holy and pure and blameless and wonderful, is she doing that because of me or in spite of me? And if it's in spite of us, guys, we've got to repent. We've got to change. So how to do that? Well, we probably don't have the power and know-how, so we've got to hang on. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do so. Real men, godly men, lead courageously by setting direction, providing protection, and also by making provision. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of His body. Circle that word provides. Make provision. Now, men, this is the one we do the easiest. We think we want to work, but we, we overdo it and become workaholics, and we neglect the first two. But we excuse it by saying, well, I'm making provision. You ought to put up, you know, I'm working. This is all for y'all. I'm providing this home and paying for these things. And guys, that's just, it just doesn't cut it with God. We got to get that back in the right perspective. We can't neglect any of these. Make provision, provide protection, set direction according to the will and the ways of God. Now, are we the only ones who earns the living? No. No, women down through history have always participated in, in uh, supporting the family. Again, I defer to the Proverbs 31 passage where we see uh, this wonderful wife uh, investing, uh, uh, producing income. It, it's, but guys, 
we hold the primary responsibility to be thinking about these things. You can win the fight for your wife by leading courageously. If we will as men set direction, provide protection, and make provision. So I think we need some help. Let's pray for it. Pray with me. Let's pray. Some of you men are saying right now, Pastor, I only have two problems with what you've just been telling us here. Number one, I don't want to. Number two, even when I do want to, I can't do it. But we need help. I've already said it. We need Christ. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So why don't you stop and pray? If there's an indication that you have no desire to live in this way, and you think that you're a Christian, let me challenge you. You may not be. If you can easily say, I, I don't want to do what God says to do here, and it doesn't bother me a bit. The Lord Jesus one time looked at a group of people and said, why do you say to call me Lord and don't do what I say? It doesn't match up. And so if you don't want to do this, maybe your first step is to become a follower of Jesus, to repent, place your faith in Him. Do so right now. And men, for the rest of us, we realize this is too high of a standard. I can't do it. Yes, that's good. Say, Lord, I can't do it even when I want to. So I'm giving myself to You and I'm trusting for You to fill me and control me and empower me to live this way with my wife. So take a moment and ask Him. Lord Jesus, thank You that we find in You a certain hope, absolute certainty that You will do these things in our hearts and lives. And we come to You now committing this relationship with our wives. We pray that You would uh, help us like we've been praying. Help us to fight for our wives. Because, Lord, help us to see that it is the relational fight worth fighting for. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.